In Romans chapter 12, there are several things that Paul brings out to tell us what serving God looks like. And the first thing that he shows us here in chapter 12, verse 1, is that serving God takes sacrifice. Serving God takes sacrifice. Look again at Romans 12, 1. It says, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice. Our service to God is called here a living sacrifice. Now, a living sacrifice is a little bit of an oxymoron. Because if you know anything about sacrifices from the Old Testament, sacrifices in the Old Testament regularly involved slaughtering animals on an altar. So to say something is a living sacrifice would really in that context seem rather odd. But a, willing, but a living sacrifice means that we are willing to lay down our lives for the very sake of serving God. And as we lay down our lives, we actually find that our life is more abundant and more meaningful than we ever could have imagined. Jesus told his disciples in Matthew 16, verse 24, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. In other words, it's only when we deny ourselves, it's only when we're willing to die to ourselves that we actually find life, that we actually find meaning and happiness in life. And ironically, if we actually go about the, our whole life within the pursuit of happiness and in the pursuit of meaning, we'll actually find that elusive. But when we stop worrying about trying to make ourselves happy and we start serving God and serving one another, the byproduct of that is joy and fulfillment and meaning in our life. Because as Jesus says here, whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. What that means is we will find our true calling. We will find our true meaning. We will find our true acceptance from God when we are willing to live the sacrificial life. Now, Paul says that our living sacrifice here is made by the mercy of God. And I think this is a critical point for us to understand because most religions would tell you that in order to find the mercy of God, you have to bring your sacrifice to God or to those gods. And when we bring our sacrifice, what we're really doing is we're cajoling that God into giving us his mercy. However, Christianity teaches just the opposite of that. Christianity says that we don't need to sacrifice anything in order to find the mercy of God because God has already provided the sacrifice. When Jesus died on the cross, he made it possible for us to have the forgiveness of sins, to find reconciliation with God, uh, and to find the mercy of God. So when we talk about offering ourselves as a living sacrifice, we don't do that so that we can obtain God's mercy. We do that because we have already obtained God's mercy through Jesus' death on the cross. We offer ourselves, therefore, our bodies as a living sacrifice in gratitude for what Jesus has already done for us on our behalf. Nonetheless, serving God is sacrifice. To serve God is sacrifice. The second thing we see in this passage is that serving God is true worship. Serving God is true worship. Take a look again at verse 1, the last part of it, where it says to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. When we lay down our lives to sacrifice and serve God, this is worship. 
Worship just means to ascribe value to something. And, and most of the time when we think about worship, we think about what we just got done doing here on a Sunday morning. We, we gather in a room like this and we sing praises to God. And, and that's great. I mean, I love that. That is, that is an, singing worship songs to God. It's one of my favorite times of the week. But Paul says that worship is not just singing, but worship is sacrifice. Hebrews 13, 15 says, let us continually offer up a sacrifice of praise to God. So worship is not merely singing songs that declare God's character, but, but worship is turning over to him all of our time, all of our talent, and all of our treasure, because that shows what he's really worth. Now, that doesn't mean that corporate worship isn't important. Uh, corporate worship is important. It's, it's a critical part of what we do. We need corporate worship. We need that to encourage us. We need it to, to inspire us. We, we need it to kind of give us the energy to get through the week as we sacrificially serve God. But corporate worship is only the launching pad to sacrificial service. If we do corporate worship without daily sacrificial service to God, then we're hypocrites. Because we're sitting here on Sunday saying how great our God is, but then we live our life Monday through Saturday as if God has no value to us at all. So serving God is true worship. The third thing we see in Romans chapter 12 is that serving God is countercultural. Serving God is countercultural. Take a look at verse 2. It says, Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. Verse, tell, verse two tells us that if we want to serve God, we need to be transformed. And we need to be transformed because this world does not see any value in sacrificial service to God. This reminds me of something Jesus tells us in Matthew 20, verse 25. He says, you know that the rulers of the Gentiles lorded over them, and their great ones exercise authority over them. It shall not be so among you. But whoever would be great among you must be your servant. You see, this world is all about gaining power. It's all about gaining influence. It's, it's gaining power and influence so that we can control one another. But Jesus says, this is not how I operate. And it's not how my followers should operate either. Our goal is not to gain power or influence, but our goal is to serve others. But sacrificial servanthood is not the way of this world. Our culture is all about taking care of ourselves. We, we talk all about self-esteem, self-care, self-love. And this culture says that, that the true path to happiness is to just find your true self and, and to follow your heart. But the prophet Jeremiah says in Jeremiah 17, 9, that the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately sick. So foolishly following our own hearts is not going to make us happy because our very hearts are going to betray us. Our very hearts are going to lead us astray because our hearts are deceitful and they're desperately sick. That's why Proverbs 3 instructs us, do not be wise in your own eyes and do not lean on your own understanding, but trust in the Lord with all of your heart. So we don't want to be conformed to this way of thinking. Instead, we want our thinking to be transformed by the renewal of our minds. So how do we do that? How do we transform our minds from the selfish indulgence encouraged by this world to sacrificially serving God? It comes from transforming our minds by studying and reading and understanding the word of God. 
And guys, it really comes down to simple math. Because think about it. If you spend six hours a day binge-watching Netflix or you know, swiping through your Instagram feed, but maybe you spend like five, maybe ten minutes reading your Bible, what's happening to your mind? Is your mind being conformed to this world? Or is your mind being transformed by the Word of God? In 2021, I think many of us need to renew our commitment to setting aside the things of this world and to allowing ourselves to be transformed by the renewing of our minds and the filling of our minds with the word of God. Because serving God is countercultural. Okay, so, so far, we've learned that serving God takes sacrifice. We've seen that serving God is true worship. We've seen that serving God is countercultural. But now we're going to get a little bit personal. And I'm going to ask you guys to do a little introspection now. Because the fourth thing that we see in Romans chapter 12 is that serving God takes honest self-assessment. Serving God takes honest self-assessment. Take a look at verse 3. Paul says, For by the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but, according, but to think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. Paul is asking us to realistically look at ourselves with sober judgment, to, to assess the gifts and the talents that God has given to us before we can serve him. Now, for most of us, if we, if we do this sort of self-assessment, we're going we're gonna to go to one extreme on the, or the other. On the one hand, we might be tempted to think that, think that we are really important to God, and we're going to overestimate our talents and gifting. We're going to say that it's really great that I can serve God because God really needs me. God needs my talents and my skills, and, and God's just frankly just lucky to have me on his team. So we can, we can overestimate our value. Or we go to the other extreme and we completely underestimate our value to God. We underestimate our talents and gifting. And we think, God can't use me at all. I, I don't have any talents and skills. I, I really can be of no use to God. And I don't know about you, but I swing between those two from one day to the next. Uh, one day I'm just like amazed at how talented and gifted I am. And the next day I wake up and I think, there's nothing I can do for God. And I swing from one extreme to the other. But Paul is telling us that both extremes are wrong. First of all, he warns us not to think too highly of ourselves. We're not to overestimate the talent and the skill that God has given to us. And folks, that's an easy trap for us to fall into. It's an easy trap for me to fall into. And I'll be honest with you, um, it, this is something that I have struggled with in my life. I've really struggled with sometimes thinking that God needs me on his team. And he's had to shake me up a few times to tell me that I'm really not that important. Most of you know that uh, while I'm an elder here at Ecclesia, I'm, I'm actually not on staff at the church. I, my full-time job is as a banker. Uh, I've been a banker for 35 years. And over the course of that 35 years, there's been maybe four or five times in my life where it seems as if God may be opening up a door for me to go into full-time ministry, to become a full-time pastor. And yet every single time that that door maybe is cracked open a little bit, God in his wisdom has chosen to shut that door. And to be honest, every time that's happened, I really had to wrestle with God about that. I've struggled with the Lord on it. I mean, why, why wouldn't God want me to do that? Why wouldn't God want me to, to use me in that way? I mean, I'm, I'm willing to give up my lucrative career as a banker and to serve him full time. Doesn't he see how much I could do for the kingdom of God if I could work full-time for him and I, and I wasn't bogged down by having to have a, a 40 or 50-hour-a-week job? What a waste of my gift. Why in the world is God keeping me on the bench when I should be out there playing in the game? 
And every time I descend in such thinking, God has to grab me and remind me he doesn't need me. God can accomplish his purposes and his desires with me or without me. I am not an indispensable part of God's plan. And God can accomplish whatever he wants with whomever he wants because he's sovereign, because he's omnipotent. And like me, some of you need to hear this morning, you are not God's gift to this world. The church doesn't need you. God doesn't need you. And we need to hear the words of Paul when he says, I say to everyone among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think. And instead, we ought to think with sober judgment. That's Paul's way of saying, get serious. Stop joking around and take an honest inventory of yourself. Because while God has assigned us all with certain talents and gifts and skills, he wants us to soberly and honestly assess those gifts and not to overestimate ourselves in the process. Now, while some of us are prone to overestimate our value to God, there are others of us that underestimate our value to God. Some of us are tempted to think, hey, God can't use me at all. That somehow when God was like doling out the gifts and the talents, he skipped over me. I have nothing to offer God. And the Bible is clear on this point as well, that everybody who is a follower of Jesus has been given a unique gifting through the power and the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. 1 Corinthians 12, 7 says this, to each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. God has given to each of us gifts that can be used for his service. And while God does not need us to accomplish his purposes, he chooses to use us to accomplish his purposes. So Paul says, use sober judgment. Don't overestimate who you are. Don't overestimate your value to God. Don't overestimate your gifts and talents, but don't underestimate it either because God has given to each one of us a skill, a talent, a gift with which he wants to use you to serve him. And the thing which grounds us to that middle ground of sober faith, sober, sober judgment, is faith. It's faith. Look at it again at verse 3. It says, according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. Now, that might sound kind of odd, that faith would be the thing which tethers us to the ground. Because our culture tends to tell you that faith isn't what holds you down. Faith is what allows you to soar. And that's because our current culture has a misunderstanding of what faith is. Our culture today would tell you that faith is some sort of blind belief that you can be anything you want to be. But that's not faith. That's not sober judgment. That's just wishful thinking. And so what's meant by this faith that leads to sober judgment, it's this measure of the faith that God has assigned. That God has assigned. See, rather, rather true faith recognizes that our complete dependence is on God. We are completely dependent upon his grace and his mercy. It is through his faith that we know we bring nothing to the table. We have nothing to offer God. Rather, any talent, any gift, any service that we can render to God comes from what he has given to us already. So faith in this context is not an unreasonable notion that I can be anything I want to be, but rather it's a sober knowledge that despite my failure, God has rescued me from my sin. 
And through his grace, he has granted to me not only salvation, but also the privilege of serving him with whatever talent and time and treasure he has provided. It's not something earned. It's something that he has graciously given. And in faith, I'm going to trust him and use the gifts that he has given to me, trusting that that's exactly what he wants me to do for him. Because serving God takes an honest self-assessment. The fifth thing we see in Romans chapter 12 is that serving God is serving the church. Serving God is serving the church. Take a look at verse 4 and verse 5. He says, For as in one body we have many members, and the members do not all have the same function, so we, though many, are one body in Christ, and individually members one of another. In these two verses, Paul uses the metaphor of a body in comparing it to the church. And he makes three statements about the church here. First, he emphasizes the unity of the church. He says in verse 5, we though many are one body in Christ. There exists only one church. There exists only one body of Christ. Now, that might be a little confusing to you because you're like saying, well, there's lots of churches. There's probably over 100 churches in Eugene alone that worship Jesus. So on the one hand, we can say, yes, there, there are many churches, just like Ecclesi is one of many churches. But when you take all of those churches combined, all those churches who are worshiping and following Jesus from every nation, every tribe, even every part of history, that comprises what we call the universal church. And so while there are many local churches, there is only one universal church, one body of Christ. And that one body, that one church, is led by its head, Jesus Christ. As Paul says in Ephesians 5.23, Christ is the head of the church, his body, and is himself its savior. So each of us compose different, different parts of that body. You know, we're the elbow, we're the knee, we're the fingernail, we're the ear, we're the eye. But there is one head, and that one head controls and directs and calls the shots for his church. And because we are all connected to that one head, we all have a common unity. And that common unity transcends and supersedes all the superficial things that divide us here on this earth. That common membership in the body of Christ is bigger than our nationality. It's bigger than our ethnicity. It's bigger than our skin color. It's bigger than our social and economic standing. It's bigger than even our gender. As it says in Galatians 3.28, there is neither Jew nor Greek, there is neither slave nor free. There is neither male nor female. For you are all one in Christ Jesus. This passage isn't denying that there are differences, ethnic, economic, gender differences. But it's stating that our unity in Christ is greater than any of those differences. Because as it says in verse 5, we, though many, are one body in Christ. Now, while we are one body, Paul also emphasizes that we're diverse. We are diverse members within that one body. He says in verse 4, for as in one body, we have many members, and the members do not all have the same function. So the diversity that Paul is talking about is very specifically the diversity of the gifting and the talents and the skills within the body of Christ. That is to say, while each of us is a member of the one body of Christ, each of us has a different gifting from God. 
We don't all have the same skills. We don't all have the same talents. We don't all have the same resources. We don't all have the same gifting. God has assigned to each of us a different gift, a different talent, a different ability to serve his church. And the reason why there's a variety of gifts is because there's a variety of needs in the church. We all come with different needs, and on different days we have different needs. So for example, while, while indeed God has provided the church with gifted teachers, there are some days what we need is not just more teaching. There are some days where we don't need another lesson. What we need is somebody with the gift of mercy to just come alongside us and show us compassion. There are other days where while it's a blessing to have people with the gift of mercy that show compassion, there are some days what I need is not compassion, but what I need is somebody with the gift of exhortation to come alongside and admonish me and tell me to get my act together. We have different needs. Each one of us individually have different needs, and each of us within our lives at different points in our life have different needs. And so God has gifted us all individually to meet those various needs within the body. So while there is unity under the headship of Christ, there is a diversity in the gifting that we've received. And then Paul finally says, Paul finally says that there's an interconnectedness of the members of the body. Take a look in verse five. He says that we are individually members of one another. People, we need each other is what he's saying. We need one another within the body of Christ. We can't do it alone. If there's anything we should have learned going through the midst of this pandemic is that we were never meant to be on this journey as Jesus followers by ourselves. And while I am thankful for the blessing of live stream technology. I'm glad that we can pull, bring people in and that I can participate in church singing and singing in my own home. I'll tell you that's not the same as when you're here together singing in praise with one another. While there is a, a great blessing that we can, through podcasts, listen to the greatest Bible teachers in the world, none of that compares to when we just sit one-on-one -on -one with each other, when we're in small groups and we go through the Bible together, praying and encouraging one another. Because folks, following Jesus is a team sport. It's a team sport. We're not meant to do it alone in isolation. 1 Corinthians 12, 24 says it this way. But God has so composed the body that there may be no division in the body, but that the members may have the same care for one another. If one member suffers, all suffer together. If one member is honored, all rejoice together. Now you are the body of Christ and individually members of it. God wants us to use our time and our talent and our treasure to build up the unity of the church, to, to revel in the diversity of that body and in our interconnectedness to care for one another so that if one member is suffering, we all suffer. If one member is being honored, we all rejoice because when we serve God, we serve the church. And when we serve the church, we are serving God. So we have seen this morning so far that serving God takes sacrifice. We've seen that serving God is true worship. We've seen that serving God is countercultural. We've seen that serving God takes an honest self-assessment. And we've seen that serving God is serving the church. But finally, what we're going to see is that serving God takes doing something. Serving God takes doing something. Take a look, starting in verse 6. It says, having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, let us use them. If prophecy in proportion to our faith, if service in our serving, 
the one who teaches in his teaching, the one who exhorts in his exhortation, the one who contributes in generosity, the one who leads with zeal, the one who does acts of mercy with cheerfulness. In these verses, Paul gives us seven examples of the gifts that God gives, gives to his people. But we need to be cautious here not to read too much into this list. First of all, Paul does not state that this is an exhaustive list of all the gifts that he gives to his church. Secondly, Paul doesn't spend any time whatsoever to define any of these gifts. And third, the point of the passage is not to help us identify what our gifting is. One of the mistakes I see made with a passage like Romans 12 is that sometimes teachers will, will take this and, and will want people to understand what their gifting is. And so they'll come up as part of their teaching with some sort of a quiz, kind of like a, a BuzzFeed-styled quiz, which instead of telling you, you know, what Disney princess you are, it tells you which of these seven spiritual gifts you have. And the problem is that's not Paul's intent with this passage. He's not trying to explain or help us to understand what our gifting is. Rather, what Paul is simply trying to do is he's trying to tell us that regardless of what your gift is, get out there and use it. Take a look at what it says in verse 6. Having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, what does he say? Let us use them. That's the imperative of the verse. That's the command. The command is to get out there and to use our gifting. And I think we would all do well to spend less time worrying about what our gifting is and spend more time actually just getting out there and serving God. Paul is calling on us to get off the sidelines and stop waiting for just that perfect opportunity to arise before we start serving him and to start serving God with whatever opportunity he's put right in front of us. Now, Paul says, if you have the gift of prophecy, then you should use that gift in proportion to your faith. What that means is that all of us should be using our gifting in humble faith and in dependence on the Spirit of God. Paul says that if you have the gift of giving, that you should give generously. I think that means that when, regardless of our gifting, that means we need to be entering into that gift with our whole heart, with generosity, with, with extravagance, where we don't just kind of like dip our toe into serving God, but we go dive in head first into the deep end. Paul says if you have the gift of leadership, he says, lead zealously. That means if you're going to use your gifting, work hard, work diligently. Like it says in Romans chapter 12, verse 11. If I can find chapter 12, verse 11. I'll just look it up here. As it says in Romans 12, verse 11, it says, Do not be slothful in zeal, but be fervent in spirit. Serve the Lord. And finally, he says, if you are someone with the gift of mercy, he says, use it cheerfully. I don't know about you, but if I have found that gifts of, when we are exercising our gift of compassion on people, what we find is that we get weary on that. People who are suffering can really bring us down on that. And so he says, gosh, if, you, if you're suffering and you're, if you're giving compassion to people who suffer, then be encouraged Serve God with cheerfulness. How do we do that? Verse 12 tells us how. He says, rejoice in hope. Be patient in tribulation. Be constant in prayer. As we serve God one another, we're going to find times where we become exhausted. We're going to find times where we're persecuted. We're going to find times where we are suffering. We're going to find times where it's hard. 
And we need to persevere through that. And how does we do that? First, we rejoice in hope. Why do we rejoice in hope? We rejoice in hope because we serve King Jesus. And King Jesus is going to someday come back and he's going to make all things new. He says that we need to be patient in tribulation. What that means is we need to be patient and go through the tribulation because we know that no matter what we do, if it's in service to God, it has eternal impact. And finally, he says to be constant in prayer, which is a reminder as we struggle through serving God, we have to be in complete and utter dependence on him. But no matter what the gifting is that we have, no matter what the struggle is that we have, Paul is telling us, let's get off the sidelines, let's get into the game, and let's start serving God together. Because serving God means doing something. It means doing something. I know for a lot of us, the year, the year 2020 was a tough year. And as we look forward into the next year, 2021, we need to stop using what happened in 2020 as an excuse to stop serving God. You know, in the middle of the pandemic, that doesn't mean God stopped working. Just because we were sitting at home in our houses watching on a live stream doesn't mean that the Spirit of God left us and that we're no longer gifted. Just because we have had a difficult time doesn't mean that the mission of the church has stopped we are still called to make disciples. We're still called to serve one another. We're still called to serve God. And we need to, in the upcoming year, put aside all those things that maybe we used as excuses. And we need to recommit ourselves as the people of God to serving him with whatever time and talent and treasure that he has given to us. Because God has called us to that. God has called us to sacrificial service. God has called us to worship him through service. God has called, called us to live counterculturally. God has called us to, to be honest with ourselves about what we can and can't do. God has called upon us to build up the unity of the church. And he's called upon us to get up, get in the game, and to start serving him. May we as a church in 2021 put aside the year that's passed and renew ourselves to serving God and to serving one another and to see what God can do with this church in the upcoming year, to see how God is going to use us to promote the gospel, to expand the kingdom and to bring him glory. Will you pray with me?